Welcome to YEGMS episode number 43. I can't believe I've done 43 of these things. And today we're going to be talking about numbness. And the reason why is way back on November 29th, it's the, I believe it's the 14th today, but way back on November 29th, a listener named Rachel sent me a question about numbness. Specifically, uh, she, she wrote, quick question about numb feet. Have you ever got that? Mine have been, o- been off and on numb the past, in the past when jogging long distances. But for about a week, they have been consistently numb. Quite an annoyance and disconcerting to say the least. Well, Rachel, I am sorry that it's taken me a couple weeks to, to get back to you and and I was going to respond to her email, but I thought, well, maybe this would be a good topic for, for an episode on the podcast. So in answer to your question, yes, I have had numb feet. My, my feet have been numb for, like, permanently numb since about five years ago it started. So I was diagnosed with MS in 2007. Uh, I never really had a problem with numb feet uh, you know, for the first several years after my diagnosis. With one exception, which I'll get to in a minute. But then all of a sudden, I'll, I will never forget, I was on a, a, a business trip to Toronto, and uh, an associate of mine and I were driving north out of the greater Toronto area on the highway to Barrie, uh, Barrie, Ontario, and my feet during that drive went numb. And they've been numb ever since. And I have moments when it's better and when it's worse. And again, I'll get into that. Um, And the only other experience I've had with numb feet actually has nothing to do with my MS. And I noticed that you uh, mentioned here jogging long distances. Uh, I found out, oh... It was sometime in the last decade. I used to, when I, when I first started running after my diagnosis, uh, I would get numb feet after running for, say, a half an hour or more. But then in when I bought a new pair of sneakers, what I discovered was that it was actually the way that my shoes were laced. And it was too tight across the top of my foot, which was restricting some blood flow And then the guy at the sneaker store uh, relaced my shoes for me in a different technique. And lo and behold, I haven't had problems with numbness. So, you know, I just noticed that you mentioned jogging. And, yeah, I have had numb feet from that, but it wasn't from my MS. But I have had other numbness throughout my body. I mean, my right pinky finger normally, and down that sort of nerve that runs from, you know, through your arm and out to your finger, uh, that I experienced numbness on, uh, right side, my right side of my body off and on, uh, I will experience some numbness. So, but I think this is something that MS warriors in general have to deal with. I mean, it's just part of, it's kind of part of the gig, isn't it? You know, when you, when with MS. So, in preparing for today's episode, Pardon me, I need to take a sip of my tea here. I um, was trying to find 
something online to reference. And I found a article on MS Living Symptom Free. It's a website. So it's mslivingsymptomfree.com. I'll leave a link in the description on, my, on the blog post. And they mentioned four ways to reduce your MS num numbness. And the four things they highlight are acupuncture, hot and cold, modify your diet, and prescription drugs. And I'll touch on each one of these points independently. And I'm also going to mention some stuff that I've noticed has actually helped with my numbness. So uh, acupuncture. Actually, on a future episode of the podcast, I'm actually going to have my wife on to talk about acupuncture and multiple sclerosis because she is an acupuncturist. And when I get acupuncture from her, sometimes she does scalp, scalp acupuncture that was specifically for MS. And other times he does general uh, acupuncture on me. Now, I mean, I know in Western culture, things like therapies like acupuncture and uh, chiropractic and, and uh, you know, naturopaths can be controversial. And sometimes for good reason. Right? In fairness. All I can say is, all I can speak from is my own personal experience with regards to acupuncture. And here's what my experience has been. There have been more than, I have found that acupuncture has helped with numbness overall. For example, there's a certain point in the front, in, in, in the top of my, sort of in the center of my shin, where she'll insert a needle, which seems to relieve the numbness in my feet. Now, the unfortunate thing is she takes the needle out and it, goes, <laughs> you know, it all goes back to normal, but it, it does seem to have an effect. Uh, the scalp acupuncture seems to have an effect. Uh, you know, scalp acupuncture, I, I mean, I'll be quite honest with you, is not for the faint of heart. I mean, she literally takes the acupuncture needle and then sort of feathers it down the side of my scalp. So, I mean, when we're talking about, whether we're talking about um, homeopathy or if we're talking about prescription drugs, if we're talking about diet, any of these things that we're talking about may or may not work for you. But just if something doesn't work for you, it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't have any value. It just means it, doesn't, it didn't work for you. And I think acupuncture is one of those things. Because one of the things about acupuncture is that you have to be comfortable enough and relaxed enough for it to lack the acupuncturist to actually find that nervy point. And if you've had it, you know what I mean. They'll put the needle in and then they'll start to wiggle it just until they find that really nervy sensation. And for some people, it can be really off-putting, right? But that nervy sensation needs to happen in order for the acupuncture to do whatever it does. And this is why I want to have my wife on this talk about it because I'm really not doing a great job of, 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 of explaining it. But I can say I have found that acupuncture has worked for uh, things like fatigue and numbness and that. So, I mean, it's something to consider. The next point that this, this article brings up is hot and cold. 
Now, I have problems with heat, as most people with MS do. However, I have found I can be outside on a, on a hot day, and as long as there's air moving around me, I'm fine. It do, the heat doesn't bother me. When heat bothers me is when I'm indoors or in a vehicle and somebody has the heat up too high. I will stop, start sweating, and I will start going crazy. Uh, my in-law's house, for example, they have in-floor heating. As somebody with MS, I could never have in-floor heating. And the reason why is the heat is inescapable because everything's hot to the touch. The furniture's warm. The, the tables are warm. Everything's warm because there's heat, literally heat radiating from every part of the floor. And they also like it really warm. And, and I remember last, we're going into the holiday season and last, last Christmas when we were there. My in-laws set their inside temperature. And, and keep in mind, they have in-floor heating at 25 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Uh, but it's way too warm. Way too warm. And... And I have found that heat does make my numbness worse. Absolutely. But again, not when I'm outside. It's a strange thing, and I don't even know why that would be, but it seems like if there's air moving around me, I'm good. If it's that still indoor air and it's really hot, uh, that's when, you know, it, that's the trigger for me. Uh, obviously, cooling down helps to alleviate that. So I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, uh, so I don't know. And here in this article, they're saying for some people, uh, for tingling numbness, warming packs are great for reducing symptoms. That's not something I would try. I wouldn't want a warm pack on me. You know, so, um, but then they also mention this in the same part of the article in a different paragraph, if you have burning numbness, that cold packs may help. Now, I don't use cold packs or warm packs, so I can't comment. But, it, you know, there, there are some things that um, to, to note, right, is, you know, and again, this all comes back to well, what's going to work for you. I'm not suggesting you run out tomorrow and get some acupuncture, and I'm, but it may be something to try. You know, it's, it's all about finding things that work for you and and help you live a better, you know, a better day-to-day -day life. Now, the third point is something that um, I've really noticed. And they, don't know, they mentioned modifying your diet. And with that, I can say this. I know I've mentioned on the podcast in the past, you know, I'm sort of a quasi-keto, paleo-style eater, so I avoid, try and avoid dairy and soy and gluten, pretty much grains. Uh, I pretty much just eat meat and vegetables cook and, cooked in good fats. I mean, that's really what my diet consists of, except for the days that I cheat. And if I have a really bad cheat day, so let's say that I go and get a meatball sub and some chocolate chip cookies from Subway. 
the numbness in my feet within a half an hour gets way worse. The numbness in my pinky gets worse, and I normally feel normally feel numb throughout my body. Now, whether that's a, a, a you know a, a psychological response or it's an actual physiological response, I couldn't say. But I do know that my my numbness symptoms are far less, far less when I'm eating clean, right? When I'm eating, uh, you know, like I'll give you a typical day. Wake up in the morning. We usually have the same breakfast. I usually have a couple eggs and then I take about a half an onion, chop it up uh, with mushrooms and fry it up with in, in usually in avocado oil uh, with mushrooms and asparagus and either cabbage or maybe broccolini or kale. It just depends on what's, what's in the fridge that day. Then I'll eat that with about a tablespoon of uh, sauerkraut, sauerkraut that's made with salt, not vinegar. Uh, that gives you your good gut bacteria. So that'll be breakfast. Lunch typically is, is smaller, and it could be something like, you know, I make myself tuna, tuna fish, but no, no bread. I just have the tuna fish, usually with a vegetable or something else. Supper time could be a steak, could be a breast of chicken. It could be, uh, you know, pork chops, ground meat, again, with some sort of vegetable. So that's typically... You know what what a, what a what a day looks like for me eating when I'm eating clean. But I have noticed that there is a, I have a serious uptick in my numbness if I you know on my cheat days and and now that I really have to start ramping up the training for next year's really long run, uh, which I'll talk about later at the end of the podcast. Um, that is something that really triggers it and I have to stay away from and I really got to start eating clean. So, you know, again, but diet is so individual, right? Like if your gut bacterial profile is different from mine, you're going to process dip foods differently based on, and then there's other genetic factors. Do you have the, you know, how do you t t tolerate lactose? You might be one of those lucky people that has, you know, the genetically in, in, your, in your gut flora allows you to eat dairy. Me, that I'm, that stopped me. You know, it's, uh, I get gas almost immediately. So, uh, not that necessarily needed to know that, but I mean, but all of these things can, can factor into, you know, how you're doing with numbness and, and, and what that looks like for, for you. The last thing that this, the last thing that this, the article mentions is prescription drugs. I haven't tried any prescription drugs for MS. I, I do use Tecfidera uh, every day uh, as my disease modifying therapy. Have I noticed it has any, has any, has that any, have I, have I noticed the impact from it on my numbness? No, no. Uh, have I had any significant progression since I've been on it? No. Um, so, now, something that I have been prescribed, not through my neurologist, through a different doctor, that I have, that has helped overall, has been 
cannabidiol, which is, C, which is commonly known as CBD, and it's the non-psychoactive part of the cannabis plant, uh, that when you take it, it doesn't get you high. And using CBD oil or just smoking a CBD-dominant strain, and it may, may sound counterintuitive to, 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 you know, effectively smoke a joint that doesn't get you high, but that's I usually every morning I have one, I roll myself one and stand in the garage and have it. Um, that's affected my, had, had, a, had an impact on my overall symptoms. Um, like is my, when I'm using CBD, is my numbness is noticeable? And I would have to say no. But again, is that psychological or is that physiological? I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, so I can't say. Nor am I suggesting that you should run out and get, you know, CBD dominant cannabis. Again, this is something that I use that I found that works for me. Uh, I, I don't know how you would react to it. Um, and, and just to be clear, you can get strains of cannabis that have little to no THC, which is the green ingredient that gets you high, and are CBD dominant, which is a powerful anti-inflammatory. You can read about it yourself. All the great things that CBD has been linked to. Um, one of the things they mentioned in this article on this prescription drugs uh, portion is that you know vitamin B12 can be helpful. Now, one of the things that's a common part of my diet is nutritional yeast because I use that in conjunction with coconut milk, uh, turmeric, uh, mustard, uh, to make sort of a cheese sauce, and so I. And nutritional yeast has a lot of B12 in it. I also eat a lot of meat, too, so I'm getting enough B12. So, you know, that's something to be aware of. So those are the things in this article that they mention as possible things to help with uh, numbness. Not specifically numb feet like Rachel asked about, but, you know, about numbness. Now, here's some other things that I've noticed that have helped me in terms of dealing with, you know, numbness as it relates to MS. Now, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this in the past, but it's, and I also find it fascinating because what Rachel was asking about is that she was saying that when she runs, you know, when she runs long distances, her feet get numb. Now, it couldn't, that absolutely could be part of it, the, you know, something to do with her MS, but it also could be, you know, I would look at you know how your shoes are laced to make sure you're, you're you're getting enough flow in your feet. But I also find that interesting because I've actually found that running has the opposite effect for me. That usually 15 to 20 minutes into a run, my numbness subsides quite substantially. When my heart really starts going, and things are pumping, uh, you know. All those good chemicals from running start getting released in your bloodstream, the fresh air, you know, all the great things about it. I find that there are moments when I'm running that I almost don't notice my numb feet or my numbness in my hands and in other places on my body. And that's one of the things I love about running is there are brief periods where I feel 100% normal. 
I, I feel like just I'm just a regular guy out in a run, and I'm not thinking about MS. I'm not thinking about, you know, I think that's the worst thing about numbness, really, is that it's like a finger just tapping you right in the middle of the forehead, saying, yeah, you know, you have MS, you have MS, you have MS, right? Um, and that's one of the freeing parts about going for a run for me is that it helps to alleviate that. So I hope in Rachel's case it's her shoelaces and not her, and not her disease because uh, there's so many positive things that can come from, from running that not necessarily MS really, just in general. So that's one thing I've noticed that, that helps. Um, I've also noticed that sleeping huge has a huge impact when i haven't had enough rest all of my symptoms are worse overall i mean just in general my i just don't feel as good the numbness is more intense and making sure that i get eight to nine hours of sleep every night is super critical i think it's critical not just for Numbness, I think it's just for disease progression overall and just being healthy. So those are a couple of things that I've, outside of what this article was mentioning, that I've, I've noticed. Um, so yeah, that's, those are my thoughts around numbness. Rachel, I hope that helps, and I hope that helps anyone else listening, you know, with their own journey. Uh, I'd love to hear suggestions if anyone has some or any techniques that anyone out there has for, for myself and Rachel or anything that we can share on the, on the podcast that may help. Things that you're doing, techniques that you're using uh, to, to combat numbness, that would be really helpful, I think, for, for anyone who listens and anyone in our community. So uh, if you want to send in some thoughts around numbness and how you battle them, if you can email me at Sean, S-E-A-N, at own multiple sclerosis.com that's o w n multiple sclerosis.com all one word no spaces anything like that uh send them in to me and uh, let me know and you know i can i'll we can talk about them on the next episode now some other things i want to get to today one symptom and i know that we all battle and that i've been really struggling with for the past couple weeks is fatigue. I mean, I just can't get going. I get up in the morning, you know, like last night, I we went to bed a little later than normal. We went to bed around 10 o'clock. I slept right straight through till six in the morning, so there's your eight hours. And got up, felt, I still feel exhausted. And I've had, I'm on my third cup of tea, and I'm still, I feel like I can go back to bed and sleep for another eight hours. Which, I mean, it's one of those things that I, I you know, you, you, you accept. You have to kind of accept as part of how your life is going to go, you know, when, when, once you get the diagnosis. And I mean, I'm 12 years into this now, so I'm used to it. But it's, it's frustrating because I, I need to train to get ready for the really long run. Uh, which is going to be happening here in about five months. And pretty hard to do when you just don't 
you don't even feel enough energy to even pull yourself out of bed. Um, like I have to train today and I'm not really sure how I'm going to manage. I, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Uh, I think I'm just going to kind of have to put my head down and just do it. And you know, it's frustrating. You know, it makes me doubt myself. Am I going to be able to do this again? Am I going to be able to run a hundred K? Um, you know, it's just one of the most frustrating things about this disease is, I mean, how do you, you know, it's like I was explaining to my wife one day. It takes so much energy for me just to get to everyone else's base level some days. You know, some days I wake up and I get out of bed and I come downstairs. And, of course, I got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And it can be six in the morning. And they're already buzzing and talking and throwing things at me. And then, you know, then my wife will start asking me questions. They're asking me questions. And mentally, for the first hour of the day, I can tell you, I'm just not there. I'm no, and I'm not even anywhere close to being there. Uh, I'm barely awake. I feel awful. Uh, you know, I feel like I, I've underslept, even though I've been in, you know, I've had over eight hours of sleep. And the only technique I've ever really discovered that helps me deal with that is just to force a workout. Because usually, again, 10, 15, 20 minutes in, once things starts pumping, it seems like, okay, you know, I can do this now. I can, I can see the end. And that, you know, it bleeds back into what I was talking to about numb. The same thing. I mean, I've always found that if I just force myself to do it, um, you know, I can get through it. But some days you just don't have the... And, you know, the, the fortitude, I guess, uh, the, um, I, I, I don't know. I just know it's, it's really hard to train right now. And if anyone else out there has any ideas on how to, <laughs> to fight through it, uh, you know, I'm all ears. I know caffeine only works so far and you don't want to overload on the caffeine as well. So that's, uh, you know, that's another issue in and of itself. Um, you know, I don't want to live a life where I have to keep sucking back tea every, you know, 15 minutes just to, just to stay awake. You know what I mean? And, you know, the nice thing about, the one nice thing about it and the one thing that, that's kind of kept me going is I know with me, fatigue is sick, it comes in cycles. And I know eventually the cycle will end and, and you know, I'll, I'll get back to more of my normal. But, man, does it suck when I'm right in the middle of it. So speaking of the really long run to end MS, I, you know, as I've mentioned on the podcast, uh, you know, I'm doing it again in 2019. I've officially picked a date. It'll be May 25th, 2019. I'll be running from Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, through the city of Edmonton, right down the River Valley, to Devon, Alberta. I haven't measured it yet, but it'll be in the neighborhood uh, neighborhood of 100 kilometers. I'm assuming it's going to take somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 hours to complete it, um, you know, plus or minus. And I should be looking forward to it, uh, because but because of the way I'm feeling, I'm not. I mean, I'm really. Uh, it's tough. 
you know, I want to do it. I've committed to do it, so I'm going to do it. But I'm just in a really sh shitty place with my disease right now. And it's all around the fatigue. It really makes it difficult, right? So, um, but on pause, no, yeah, I will be doing it. I don't want to sound like a downer. Like, it's, it's exciting. I, I'm looking forward to get going. I'm looking forward to, you know, one of the funnest things, though, and to sort of try and get back into some positivity here. My buddy Mark, who's a legit, a legitimate ultra marathoner. I mean, he's run the, he's soloed the death race. Um, just an amazing, guy, amazing all around guy. We've been having to figure out, we've been doing some trail finding. Because yeah, the, there isn't a continuous trail from, from Fort Saskatchewan to Devon. So we were out about two weeks ago. Uh, looking for the trail from Fort Saskatchewan into the Edmonton River Valley. And we found, they got to the end from Fort Saskatchewan, the, Fort Saskatchewan to sort of where the trail ends and looked across the river and drove across the river and figured out, okay, well, that's where the city of Edmonton Trail starts. But there's no bridge. And then we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could have somebody canoe us across? So there's going to be a canoe crossing in the 20... 19 version of the really long run to NMS. And I think that's awesome. I think that's a very, a very Canadian thing, you know, sort of portage across the, the, the North, North Saskatchewan River. Um, fortunately, I have a canoe, so, I mean, we don't even have to borrow one. I just have to get it there and, and uh, you know, have some of the volunteers help me out. But I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty pumped. It'll be a nice break because at that point, at that point in the run, we'll run about in the neighborhood of 15 kilometers, maybe 20. So it'd be a good time to take a break anyway, and then have a little canoe ride in the middle. I mean that's uh, that's pretty right on. So I mean that I mean as I'm as I'm saying this is making me smile because I think that I, I think it's kind of funny. Uh, I think it's kind of a fun thing, and. Yeah, it's just really, really cool. And um, so speaking of the really long run, I know a lot of my listeners are based in the United States and Australia and, and sort of all over Canada. But for the ones that are in the northern Alberta area, in and around the Edmonton area, if you want to be a part of the run, whether you want to be a support runner or if you just want to be a volunteer, if you just want to, you know, show up and make fun of me <laughs> after I've been running for 10 or 15 hours. I mean, whatever, whatever part you want to want to play in this, uh, this thing. Um, I'd love to have you along for the ride. So uh, in the past, what we've had is support runners and how that works is you can run any distance you want. Um, You'll just meet me along the route, run whatever distance you want to run, and then stop <laughs> you know, when you hit your distance, right? Uh, I'm going to be running all day, and the way it worked in the past is, is my mom and, and some of the other people that volunteering helped me out did an amazing job of sort of planning out the route where, you know, at different points of the day, I'd pick up two or three support runners, 
Then they drop off at another checkpoint and we'd add a few more. Uh, I remember the first year, it was really amazing. You know, the support runners started joining. Well, they were, they, they, they were there pretty much throughout the whole day, but the bulk of them didn't start until after lunch, which is after the halfway point, which is about 40 kilometers in. <clears throat> and most of the people said, well, I'll run 5K or 10K. And then what we found ended up happening, and this actually happened both years. Somebody would, you know, figure they'd run 5K. But when you meet me and I've already run 60, I'm not going very fast. So they'd realize, oh, wow, I can keep up to, I can keep up to him. Well, yeah, I've been running for nine hours. Of course, you can keep up to me. Um, and then they didn't stop. I mean, you know, there was people that agreed to run 5K that ended up doing 10 or more. There were people that agreed to do 10K that ended up running a half marathon. And then there was, you know, and they just wouldn't leave. And it was... Uh, so kind of very forth Gumpian is that we had this, you know, sort of long train uh, trudging down the highway. Um, and that what's even greater about the 2019 event, because we're doing this in the Edmonton River Valley, we don't have to worry about traffic. We're going to be on, especially when we're going through Edmonton, we'll be, be on paved trails for the most part. Be very, very easy for people to join in and not have to worry about safety or cars or anything like that. And the other thing that gets me excited is if there's people that out there with, with MS that have, uh, you know, challenges with their mobility, it would make it very easy for somebody. You know, let's say that they figure they could only make it 100 meters. So then do 100 meters, you know. Like I said, it, it, once I'm about a marathon in, <laughs> not, a, not that I'm a fast runner to begin with, but once I'm about a marathon in, I'm not moving, you know, at a really super fast clip. So if somebody wanted to do a hundred meters, a kilometer, or whatever, and because we're not doing it on the highway, it really makes it easy. So this has been a really long roundabout way of saying, uh, if you want to be part of it, please, by all means, um, love to have you along. Uh, love to have you along for the ride and, and, and be part of it. It's um, the 2019 really long run will likely be my, my last one. Uh, the amount of time and training and, and, and stuff that it that it takes to uh, uh, not only run it but set it up is um, it's it's tough with a young family and my hope is is that that after the 2019 run is that it can become an event on its uh, you know by itself where. Some version of the run happens every year, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm running 100K or 80K or whatever. It just means that there's a there's an event, uh, you know, to keep raising money. But not only that, just to have a positive event for um, MS warriors that, you know, they can, a yearly event that they can look forward to and be a part of. And, uh, and that's my hope, I mean, I don't know that um, it'll be the last one. That's just my feeling right now. And it could be part and parcel of the, uh, the fatigue I'm going through. Um, yeah, so numbness and fatigue are probably my two worst, <laughs> by far my two worst symptoms. And, and I know for many of you, you'd wish that numbness and fatigue were your worst, your worst symptoms. So... I don't want. I don't mean to minimize the the, the struggle of some of uh, some of the people in our community that have it far worse than me. Because I know, 
even being able to run to the end of the block, let alone run 100 kilometers, I'm an extremely lucky person. And I remember that every time I go out, every time I do anything, because I... Um, It's an honor and a privilege, and it's really special to be able to, to do the really long run. And, and I feel very fortunate that I'm, my disease is such that I'm able to do it, so. But for those, you know, that's what is important. If, if anyone wants to be a part, please reach out to me. Uh, Sean at oldmontalosclerosis.com. Easiest way to get a hold of me. And, uh, and if you have any ideas, suggestions, anything you want to be part of, I mean, please, by all means, um, let's make it happen. In well, so to close the this this episode of the podcast down, I want to wish everyone out there who listens a happy holidays. Whatever your spiritual inclination happens to be, whether you're Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Um, you know, whatever your year-end tradition is. For me, there's, it's pretty simple. It's just getting together with family. There's no, uh, that's it. That's the, that's it. This, we're going to, we're going to Red Deer Domain Laws, and then we're going, doing kind of a, a tour through Western Canada, then we're going to Calgary, and then Kamloops, and then home. So, um, so whatever your, Whatever you celebrate, uh, I hope you're set up to have a great one. You know, one of the things I want to mention before I, I sign off here is just because it's the holidays doesn't mean you have to. If you found dietary strategies that work for you, whether it's gluten-free, dairy-free, keto, uh, swank diet, whatever, you know, the swank diet, whatever, if you found something that works to, for you, it doesn't mean you have to abandon it over the holidays. I have modified more recipes to fit my diet so that I stay on track during the holidays. And it's easy, it's relatively easy to do if, 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 if you take the time, right? You can always find a version of a recipe or take a look at an existing recipe. Like for example, last year, for years my mom, from her, via her mom, uh, she made this thing called these things called crab stuffed potatoes, and really, what they look like—they look like a uh, a potato skin, you know, you get at a restaurant. Uh, but instead of having ch cheddar cheese on it, it's, it's got smoked paprika on the top. And what it is is basically you, you you bake a potato, then you scrape out all the potato, leave the skin, then the potato goes into a bowl, and you you know you mix it with like. Uh, you know, like cheese and this and that and all a bunch of stuff I couldn't have. And what I ended up doing is I ended up substituting like the, the cheese and the, uh, the other ingredients in there that I couldn't have. And I, made, I managed to make a version that was very workable for me. And one of the things I did is I cut the, last year I cut the, the amount of potato I put back into the skin by using mashed cauliflower. So just to, to, to lower the carbohydrate volume. Um, we also eat a lot of meat pies, which it comes from the French Canadian on my mom's side, and we call it tartare. Um, obviously, you can make that with a gluten-free crust. 
And again, there was a lot of there was mashed potato in with the meat for the filling. I replaced that with mashed cauliflower. You know, um, you know, you can make you can what I'm. Well, I guess what I'm getting at. I'm not going to go over through all the changes I made. But you can you can stick to your. You can sort of honor your any sort of dietary changes you've made by just editing the recipes. And, you know, if you want some ideas how or you want me to look at some recipes that, you, you know, you're trying to figure out how do I alter this, just email, email, email them to me at sean at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. Um, I'm happy to take a look because I'm also happy for more, you know, <laughs> for different ideas, right? So uh, different recipes and that. Um, so yeah, don't don't think you have to throw it all under the bus. But and oh, I forgot to mention, but this is actually a good point to mention. Back to Rachel's numbness question that we opened the, the this podcast with. I have found that processed sugar makes my numbness really bad. And how do I know this? Every Halloween I make the same mistake. And I don't know why I didn't think to talk about, talk about this off the, off the top, but so usually the way Halloween works at my house is my wife will take the kids. Usually my wife and possibly my mom will take the kids out trick-or-treating around our neighborhood, and I'm the one home to give kids the candy. Well, one thing I, re- I find almost impossible to say no to is those little old Henry bars. Those little Halloween size O'Henry bars. So usually, as I'm ha- handing the handing the candy to the kids that come by, I'll jam like eight or nine of those in my mouth over the course of the evening. My feet and my, my right pinky will be so numb by the end of the night, like it's unreal. And again, I don't know if that's psychological or physiological. I have no idea. Right, if I'm actually having a you know a physiological response to the the processed sugar and all the crap that would be in a in a an O Henry bar, uh, it isn't for me to say. I just know that that makes my numbness really bad. And I remember thinking before this Halloween, all right, Sean, make sure this time you don't you know go overboard on the O'Henry's. And then, of course, what I do is I keep the wrappers in my pocket and I count them at the end of the night and I think, oh, man, like that, what were you thinking, right? Um, and I know that that makes my numbness worse, so I don't know if anybody else has that experience with refined sugar. If you do, let me know. Send an email, Sean, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. Um, but, yeah. Try and stick with it this holiday season. I uh, hope you have a, a great holiday, uh, great New Year's, the whole bit. I hope uh, this year was a great one for you and that uh, health-wise things are looking up. Uh, you know, even though I was kind of a downer early in this episode, I, I mean, overall, I feel pretty good. Um, I'm just going through one of those those down periods right now that, that suck. But, you know, again, it's just it, it comes with it comes with the journey, right? Um but actually doing this episode was great because now I'm, I'm, I'm motivated to, to, to get in my home gym today and, and really get after it. And hopefully that'll, that'll knock off some of the cobwebs. Anyways, that is it for this episode of the YEGMS podcast. You can always reach out to me, as I've mentioned several times in this episode, and I love it when people do. And Rachel, I, again, I apologize for taking so long to respond to your question, but I hope... This episode was helpful for you. 
And I hope it was helpful for everybody else. But you can always reach out to me, Sean, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. You can find me on Twitter, at ownms.com1. That's O-W-N-M-S-D-O-T-C-O-M and the number one. You can also find Own Multiple Sclerosis on Facebook. Just type it in. And you can find the Really Long Run to End MS page on Facebook as well. And if you want to donate to the Really Long Run to End MS, you can go to reallylongruntoendms.ca. All the donations go directly to the MS Society of Canada. I don't ever touch the money. Uh, the MS Society was good enough to set me up with a website where the donations can be made there. That way I don't have to touch the money, which makes me very, very happy. But anyways, uh, this is the last episode for... 2018. Thank you so much for everyone who listened this year. And I'll be back sometime in January the next episode. Talk to you soon.